0: This podcast begins a three-part series on Theodore Roosevelt, as requested by my North Dakota kids. This time, I'm looking at his early life and his time in North Dakota. Next, I will explore his experience in the Rough Riders. After that, his term as a conservationist and reformist president. Theodore Roosevelt was born into a wealthy family on October 27, 1858, in New York City. His father was a wealthy businessman and also the founder of the American Museum of Natural History. His mother was from a wealthy planter family in Georgia. She was a quintessential Southern belle, rumored to have been the model for Scarlett O'Hara of the book Gone with the Wind. Teddy had three siblings, an older sister, Anna, a younger brother, Elliot, and a younger sister, Corrine. Theirs was a loving family. T.R. led a privileged life, but he was a shy, weak, and sickly kid. He was prone to illness and suffered from severe asthma which restricted his breathing when he exerted himself or became anxious in those days asthma often led to death he also had poor vision and had to wear glasses all his life in his autobiography he said i had no idea the world was so beautiful until i got those spectacles Because of his health, Teddy was homeschooled. His father, who had wanted a strong and active son, was disappointed in Teddy. When the boy was about 12, his father told him, Theodore, you have the mind, but you have not the body. And without the help of the body, the mind cannot go as far as it should. I am giving you the tools, but it's up to you to make your body. His father built a gym in their home with all the equipment for Teddy to work on his body. Roosevelt set goals for himself to live an active and strenuous lifestyle, which he would continue for his entire life. He always made time for physical exercise, Bicycle riding, hiking, swimming, boxing, weightlifting, and horseback riding. He was homeschooled up until the time he entered Harvard University. He often traveled with his parents throughout Europe and the Middle East during the 1860s and 1870s. When he was 13, he and his younger brother, Elliot, lived with a host family in Germany for five months while they studied the language. Although he enrolled at Columbia Law School after graduating from Harvard, magna cum laude, he spent only a year there. Then he dropped out to start his political career. He was elected representative to the New York State Assembly. He was the youngest to ever serve in that office. After that, Teddy served in various public offices, including as captain of the National Guard. In October 1880, he married Alice Hathaway Lee, a young woman he had met at Harvard. Alice was an attractive, cheerful girl and enjoyed sports, tennis, archery, and boating. She turned Teddy down the first time he asked her to marry him that was on Valentine's Day, 1878, as he was persistent in his pursuit of her, and she finally said yes. They married and spent their honeymoon in the Roosevelt Mansion on Oyster Bay in New York. In 1881, they toured Europe for five months. In September, 1883, while... Alice stayed in their home in New York, Teddy went on a hunting trip to the to the Dakota Territory for two weeks. He came back and immediately resumed his activities as a public servant. Much of his time was spent in Albany, the capital of New York. He always regretted leaving Alice each time as he left their home to return to Albany, he wrote her sometimes twice a day, always referring to her as his darling wife. Roosevelt was predictably thrilled when he learned Alice was pregnant. They both hoped for a large family. He fussed over her as her pregnancy advanced, and he did his best to ease her discomfort when he was with her, and offered moral support when he was away. He became extremely concerned when she fell ill, just as her due date approached. But the doctor didn't seem concerned, as he said the baby was doing fine and didn't seem to be in any hurry to be born. On February 11, Alice wrote T.R. telling him she felt well, but she was worried about her mother-in-law, who lived with them. She said the doctor had told him he believed Teddy's mother uh, was suffering from typhoid. But that didn't need to worry, I'm sorry, but they didn't need to worry about contagion. She closed her letter with a sentiment that, I wish I could have my little baby soon. On February the 12th, just the next day, February 12th, 1884, Alice gave birth to a daughter, Alice Lee, weighing over 8 pounds. Roosevelt received the news by telegram and was thrilled. He was receiving the congratulations of his friends in the assembly, but within a few moments he received a second telegram relaying the news that Alice was in trouble. He lost no time rushing to the rail station to fly to her side. When he arrived at their home, he found his mother close to death. Teddy spent the next two days going from his wife's side to that of his mother. On Thursday morning, before dawn, his mother died as he sat by her side. He went from her deathbed to sit by his wife's bedside. Alice was dying of kidney failure, associated with childbirth. In the early afternoon, as he held his wife in his arms, she drew her last breath. Theodore wrote in his journal the day his wife died, saying, The light has gone out of my life. After the funeral, He wrote in his journal a short epitaph for his bride, concluding, For joy or for sorrow, my life has now been lived out. As one historian said, the twin tragedy devastated Roosevelt, leaving him stunned, haggard, stumbling through a blur of funeral, burial, mourning, memorial services, and condolences none of which relieved his grief and loss. Remembering the vast expansiveness of the Dakota Territory, he left his baby daughter with his older sister, determined to go there once again to ride in solitude over the Badlands in order to try to come to terms with his deep grief. In late June... He wrote his sister telling her, Every night I lie wrapped up in my blanket looking at the stars till I fall asleep in the cool air. The country has widely different aspects and different places. One day I would canter hour after hour over the level green grass or through miles of wild rose thickets all in bloom. On the next, I would be amidst the savage desolation of the Badlands, with their dreary plateaus, fantastically shaped buttes, and deep, winding canyons. He would spend the next four years in the Dakota Territory. It was Theodore's first trip to North Dakota, which at that time was Dakota Territory, that would set him on the course of a passionate conservationist. As a child, he had dreamed of the life of a cowboy, riding the range, having shootouts with cattle rustlers and bank robbers. He thought of the West as a place of cowboys and Indians. It was not until he was grown, 24 years old, that he was able to head West. He traveled by train to the frontier town of Little Missouri on the Little Missouri River. He had arrived there on September 8, 1883. He had come to hunt buffalo and to see the west while it was still the frontier. North Dakota was not a state yet. It was part of the Dakota Territory. It was late at night when the train arrived at the station. T.R. managed to get a cot in the only hotel and spent the rest of the night. In the morning, he walked through the small, rough village looking for a guide to take him buffalo hunting. His search led him to Joe Ferris. Ferris had worked for the Northern Pacific Railroad, cutting wood for the steam engines and hunting wild game for the railroad passengers, so he was well familiar with the area. Ferris was at first skeptical about the skinny New York dude with the thick, rude, round eyeglasses. But Roosevelt's determination and stamina during the two weeks of cold, rainy, bad luck and accident-prone days won Ferris's respect and long-lasting friendship. The buffalo herds had been so decimated that it was days before they spotted a lone bull After trailing the animal over several miles and several missed shots, Teddy finally got his first buffalo in the upper reaches of Little Cannonball Creek, just north of today's Marmoth, North Dakota. By today's travel time, it's about two and a half half hours from Williston. Ferris said T.R. whooped and shouted and danced around the fallen buffalo and grandly rewarded the guide with a hundred-dollar bill. Ferris later said, By golly, I was enthused myself, and for more reasons than one. I was plumb tired out. And besides, he was so eager to shoot his first buffalo that it somehow got into my blood and I wanted to see him kill his first one as badly as he wanted to kill it. During this trip to to Dakota, Teddy first stayed in a small frontier cabin about seven miles south of Medora at Chimney Butte. It was there he met Ferris's brother, Sylvain, and William Merrifield. Both of these men would become very important in Teddy's future, the four men rode south about fifty miles to Gregor Lang's cabin on the Namilla Ranch late in the day. Lang was a Scottish immigrant who had come to the Dakota Territory with his young son Lincoln. Though T.R.'s trip from Medora was tiring, he and his host found much of common interest to talk about. They sat up until way past midnight talking about hunting and cattle ranching, politics, foreign affairs, and the human condition in general. But he was up by dawn and insisted on venturing on, regardless of the steady rain that was falling in the dark skies. In spite of the rain, The mud and the treacherous footing on rocks slick with the rain, and despite Ferris's hope that the man would give up his quest, T.R. reveled in the adversity, and his enjoyment was only heightened. He did manage to spot a deer and got off a shot, but missed. This continued for several days. "'I've been out a week now, nearly,' And though it is a good game country, yet, by Jove, my usual bad luck in hunting has followed, he wrote Alice. Lincoln Lang later spoke of Teddy's effect on his guide. He nearly killed poor Joe. He would not stop for anything. Each evening they would go back to Lang's cabin, and Teddy and Lang would enjoy conversation into the wee hours of the morning. Much of the conversation circled around cattle ranching. During these talks, Roosevelt was forming his idea of becoming a rancher himself. Blessed with youth and an inheritance that provided him with ready cash, he wanted to take a gamble on this last frontier. He wasn't going to give up on his political ambitions, but he knew there would be much need for ambitious men in the territory in the coming days. Roosevelt knew that it might take some persuading to get Alice on board with moving west, but with the railroad, trips back east would not be a problem. Roosevelt approached Lang with an offer to invest with him in a ranch and the coddled cattle to stock it. Lang had learned to like and respect Teddy, but he already had a contract with another man to run the Namella ranch, and the owner depended on him. Roosevelt was disappointed, but he respected the man's loyalty and he asked if Lang could recommend anyone else. Lang suggested Sylvain Ferris and Bill Merrifield as being trustworthy and resourceful men. So Teddy approached the men with the offer. They, too, had already contracted obligations to manage a small herd for an absentee owner. Roosevelt, then and there, offered to buy them out, contract cattle and all, They said, we'll have to go to Minnesota to talk to the owner. But they really liked the offer. The New Yorker drew forth his checkbook then and there and wrote them a check for $14,000 to cover their expenses, to buy a few hundred cattle to add to the 150 they were already managing. As you can imagine, they were shocked at his trusting and decisive nature. Merrifield later still felt that initial amazement, saying, We were sitting on a log up at what we call Cannonball Creek. He handed us a check for $14,000, handed it right over to us on a verbal contract. He didn't have a scratch of a pen for it. All the security he had for his money was our honesty. Teddy could not wait to tell his wife. He scribbled off a letter, telling Alice his wonderful news. He told her of his plan to become a cattle rancher, ensuring her that he had every confidence it would be a success and would meet the approval of their extended family. However, he said, everything would be secondary to your happiness you may be sure. He went on to say, This has been, by all odds, the pleasantest and most successful trip I have ever made. Of course, I'm dirty. In fact, I have not taken off my clothes for two weeks, not even at night, except for one bath in the river. But I sleep Eat and work as I never could do in ten years' time in the city. The ranch he bought was the Maltese Cross Ranch, on which stood the cabin he had stayed in on his second night in the Dakota Territory. His two partners would stay to manage the ranch, while Teddy went back to New York to his political career. He left instructions for the men to build a ranch house in addition to the cabin that already existed. They went on to build a house, a a a story-and-a-half log house with durable ponderosa pine floated down the Little Missouri River. Roosevelt's optimism and enthusiasm led Lang to remark to his son as this odd little man rode off for the railroad. There goes the most remarkable man I have ever met. Unless I am badly mistaken, the world is due to hear from him one of these days. Roosevelt would return to the ranch often, and eventually bought a second spread called Elkhorn Ranch. He purchased thousands of head of cattle, to install on the ranches. The rugged life in the Dakota Territory fulfilled his longing to be a real cowboy, and it helped to change his image of a wealthy eastern gentleman to that of a man of the Wild West. Teddy often proclaimed that, I would not have been the president had it not been for my experience in North Dakota. He loved the life in the West, and it did improve his health and vigor, even though his involvement in the cattle industry did not improve his wealth. After the death of his wife and mother, he made his way back to Dakota to heal. Theodore said that hours in the saddle on his favorite horse, galloping over the badlands, helped to ease the pain of loss. He spent the next four years working on his ranches, although owner of the ranch, who put himself on the same level as the ranch hands who worked for him. He gained the respect of the working cowboys as he participated in every task, doing the hard jobs, staying with it for long hours, and choosing to mount the wildest horse. He made an odd figure for a cowboy, his hard-bitten neighbors chuckled at the bully and delighted that burst from his mouth. His thick eyeglasses earned him the inevitable nickname Four Eyes, which alternated with the dude. But his determination and stamina eventually won him the respect of his new comrades. He learned to ride like a cowboy, Rope like a cowboy, herd cattle like a cowboy, stand up to thieves and other bad men like a cowboy. In one letter to his sister, he wrote, I've been on the roundup for a fortnight and really enjoy the work greatly. We breakfast at three every morning and work from 16 to 18 hours a day, counting night guard. So I get pretty sleepy but feel strong as a bear. Later, he wrote, We knew toil and hardship and hunger and thirst, and we saw men die violent deaths as they worked among the horses and cattle. But we felt the best of hardy life in our veins, and ours was the glory of work and the joy of living. Twice, Roosevelt had encounters with outlaws. One was when he took down a drunken cowboy who was firing shots inside a Medora hotel saloon. Tihar, using his boxing skills, laid the man over. The other time was when he joined a posse, chasing three horse thieves. Afterwards, this action gained him the status of deputy sheriff. One year, Teddy left his ranch to embark on a hunting trip to the Bighorn Mountains of Wyoming. Bill Merrifield joined him as his guide and companion. They hired an older man named Lebo to drive the supply wagon and to cook the meals. The wagon carried several changes of clothes for Teddy, quantities of flour, bacon, beans, coffee, sugar and salt. It also carried five guns and 1,700 rounds of ammunition. Two horses pulled the wagon and four horses took turns carrying the two hunters. They made their way into Montana and on to Wyoming, traveling sometimes only a few miles, sometimes up to 30 miles a day they encountered a variety of weather conditions that was pretty common on the plains in late summer, from pelting rain and hail to ferocious windstorms that nearly turned their wagon over. Both men shot all kinds of birds and small mammals, but the highlight of the trip came when they had a close encounter with a grizzly bear. Teddy said his face was undoubtedly white, as he found himself face to face with the grizzly. He was proud of himself when he shot and hit the bear, as he said, fairly between his sinister-looking eyes. After this trip, he wrote to his sister, telling her, I have had good sport and enough excitement and fatigue to prevent overmuch thought, and moreover, I have at last been able to sleep well at night. It wasn't long after this that Roosevelt boarded a train to the east to throw himself back into the political arena once again. Let me close with another quote from Theodore. Keep your eyes on the stars and your feet on the ground. Until next time.